for the majority of their life, in fact, all of their life, my children have been raised in an environment of the dishwasher. And to them, dishwashing is a simple task. You rinse the dishes off, you put them in the machine, you take the box of soap and you put it in the machine or the the pod that you buy at the store and you put it in the machine and you hit go and the dishes are clean. And so if you ask them for the majority of their life what Dawn or Ivory was, what they would have told you was mouthwash. You get the joke? See, my wife's one of her lessons to the children was to never use sayings with words like, oh, my God. In fact, the youth group children would tell you all for the 15 to 20 years I did youth ministry that if Mama Dish came unglued about one thing, it was going to be to correct you. Oh, my God was to be, oh, my goodness. Or something alternative to that, which I'm going to get in trouble on the way home. Because I've now said it twice. But she won't wash my mouth out because she can't. She's not that tall. The world is a place where power is demonstrated every day. Perhaps you've heard of the term horsepower or torque. If you're a motorhead, those two words will mean something to you. If you're a young Boy or a young girl that spent some time out in the garage with dad, you'll know what horsepower and torque mean. Or perhaps you've heard the term power and control. This is another term that is well known in our culture. Power is a term mentioned here to describe something's ability to manipulate something. In fact, the Merriam-Webster dictionary defines power this way. First. The ability or right to control people or things. The second definition that it offers is that it's it could be political control of a country or an area. The third definition that it uses is a person or organization that has a lot of control or influence over other people or organizations. My focus this morning is to spend time defining the first characteristic here we see of power, that being the ability or the right to control people or things. I want to be specific and focus upon the power that we find in the name of Jesus. Now, if I counted right up to this time in our service thus far, and I, I said four this morning, it's actually been three thus far. We've used the term um, in Jesus name, we pray. And that in just the communion time, actually, now I'm rethinking it's four because the time before the prayer, we had so it's four just in the communion time. We reference Jesus's name three times. And my question is this morning is when when Jeremy said those words, when Sam said those words, those words in Jesus name, we pray. Was that approached faithfully? Did we understand that in those words, there's great power that we're tapping into, that we're accessing? In fact, the greatest power known to mankind is found within those words. Do we believe that? Because those words have to be used faithful for them to have that faithfully for them to have that power. 
the book of Isaiah describes this in the time of the Old Testament people. Look at Isaiah. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah, the 45th chapter. And the point I want to make is God's people in the Old Testament time were taught to understand the power in God's name. If you walk through the Old Testament and you read through it as 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 we're going to do with the story on Sunday morning and in other places in Bible studies that we have, you see that when God's people called on the name of God, they did really well. God treated them really well. He made great provisions for them. He took care of them. Food falls out of the sky when they call on the name of the Lord. But when they turn from the name of God, they begin to struggle. And in most of the times, church, what we see in the Old Testament, it's struggle to the point of slavery. And this is what Isaiah begins is addressing in his prophecy to God's people is this is a people who have just been let out of slavery from Babylon by King Cyrus. God's intervened with King Cyrus and he's let God's people go. And the problem is, is their time in slavery, they began to develop ways of idolatry. And so God intervenes here. And there's a couple of things that that this this these set of verses are going to talk about. The first is this. There's no true power in a lie. I'm going to I want us to understand if, if we build something upon a lie, it might go all right for a while. But when the lie comes out in the open, the power is taken away. Whatever power was built upon that lie, it'll be taken away. That's number one. That's the first thing you'll find in this text. And the second one's going to bring us to this scripture reading. And it's this. When idols are cast, they become um, a rival to God. And God makes this clear in the first two commandments of the ten commandments given to Moses. It's reiterated here by Isaiah to these people. Read with me. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 45. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there was no God apart from me. A righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself, I have sworn my ma- with my mouth, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before every knee will before me, every knee will bow by me. Every tongue will swear they will say of me in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But the Lord, but in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. He tells these people of God, these people who are coming out of a life where they've assimilated to idolatry. They've turned in some cases to other idols other than God for their comfort while they were in captivity. He's reacclimating them to a point where instead of raising their voice to those gods, they will say in the God we believe 
and they will begin to reclaim their life for the, the God, not some other God, not some lie, not something that's false. And so these people are taught by Isaiah from the beginning that there's power when we reference the almighty God. What's the importance of this to us? Well, I believe what is seen here in the power of God to those of the Old Testament time, those who Isaiah speak to, that power is still ours to be had. And that power comes to us through the name of Jesus. Jesus delivers us to God. So when we say in the name of Jesus, we are proclaiming that moment for God. The name of Jesus referring to God in the flesh is the greatest source of power that we have access to. When we prayed four times this morning and the things that we asked for in remembrance of. In loving worship of when we added those words at the end in Jesus name, we pray that faith, faith in those words meant a great deal. They're not just words, church. They mean they tap into power. You know, I want to share an illustration that I found this morning that I I think kind of in a story form. It shows what I'm talking about. This is from Jeffrey Powell. It's entitled God and the Spider. During World War II, a U.S. Marine was separated from his unit on on a Pacific island. The fighting had been intense and the smoke and the crossfire. He'd lost touch with his comrades. Alone in the jungle, he could hear enemy soldiers coming in his direction. Scrambling for cover, he found his way up to a high ridge where several small caves were in the rock. Quickly, he crawled inside one of the caves. Although safe for a moment, he realized that once the enemy soldiers looking for him swept up the ridge, They would quickly search all the caves and he would be killed. As he waited, he prayed, Lord, if it be your will, please protect me. Whatever your will, though, I will love and trust you. Amen. After praying, he lay quietly listening to the enemy begin to draw close. He thought, well, I guess the Lord isn't going to help me out of this one. And then he saw a spider begin to build a web over the front of his cave. As he watched, listening to the enemy searching for him, all the while the spider layered strand after strand of the web across the opening of the cave. He thought, what I need is a brick wall and what God has sent me is a spider web. God has a bad sense of humor. As the enemy drew closer, he watched from the darkness of his hideout and he could see them searching one cave after another. As they came to to his cave, he got ready to make his final stand. To his amazement, however, after glancing in the direction of his cave, they moved on. Suddenly, he realized that with the spider web over the entrance, his cave looked as if no one had entered for quite a while. Lord, forgive me, prayed the young man. I had forgotten that in you a spider's web is stronger than a brick wall. We all face times of great trouble, and when we do, it's so easy to forget the victories that God would work in our lives, sometimes in the most surprising ways. 
As the great leader Nehemiah reminded the people of Israel when they faced the task of rebuilding Jerusalem in God, we will have success. Nehemiah two, verse 20. Remember, whatever is happening in your life with God, a mere spider's web can become a brick wall of protection. Believe he is with you always. Just speak his name through Jesus, his son, and you will see his great power and love for you. This power that goes beyond the Old Testament and those that reached out to God and is available through us through Jesus is also depicted in Philippians chapter two. Turn in your Bibles to this text, Philippians chapter two. I want to read to you verses one through eleven. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The reason this power that was given to given in regard to God by the Old Testament believers is the same for us through Jesus is because God said it was to be. God gave Jesus that name. God handed Jesus that name. And there's some there's some really powerful things to be said here. A lot of commentators believe that this text in Philippians is probably like an early church hymnal. You know how a lot of our hymns have different scriptures. They pull out different points of scripture and they put them together in a song that delivers a spiritual message. A lot of commentators believe that's what we're seeing here in the book of Philippians. There's there's scripture to be found here from Isaiah 45, verse 23, Romans 14, verse 11, Matthew 28, 18, Ephesians 1, 10, Colossians 1, 20 and 2, 11 and John 13, 13. All these scriptures are brought in to make this point about the power in the name of Jesus. Now, whether a poem or a hymnal or a song, there's some points I want to pull out here just real quick. In Philippians two and verse six, Paul uses these words in the very nature. And this affirms that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is God in flesh. Romans nine, verse five, Paul establishes and testifies to Jesus's equality with God. Paul references the power that Jesus had to give up his his respected place on high before his incarnation, then to reclaim it 
at his accession. That's powerful to give up the highest place with God to just give it up, come down, become human, and then have the power to ascend and go reclaim it. All described in Scripture. Second is in verse 7, Philippians 2, 7, Paul uses the term made himself nothing. Made himself nothing to demonstrate the power in Jesus name. John 17, verse five explains that Jesus laid aside his glory. Second Corinthians eight, verse nine describes the humiliation Jesus endured in making himself a man. And in Matthew twenty twenty eight, we see that Jesus became a servant, submissive to God's will. What I want us to see here is the perfection Jesus had in being what we would call a Christian. He didn't do it halfway. He didn't do it partway. He was empowered by God to do it perfectly so that we could see it. This is power. And when we say in the name of Jesus, we're referencing perfection. We're not, we're not referencing something that could happen or might happen or, or that, well, if you look at that, it, it's, it's partially the way you do it. When we say in Jesus' name and we ask for something, we look at something or we proclaim something, we're proclaiming, we're asking for perfection. And we're asking for it from a perfect God. A third way in Philippians 2.8, Paul articulates Jesus' power by explaining the process of Jesus appearing as a man. And not only his outward appearance, but showing with perfection the inward qualities of obedience, humility, servanthood, and most importantly, love. We see all of this in the proclamation of Philippians chapter 2. And finally, in verse 9, Paul shares God's reinforcement of all of this, giving him the name above all names. If Jesus wasn't perfect, if it wasn't of God, then God wouldn't have gave Jesus that name. God blessed Jesus. And now Jesus blesses us. These four characteristics Paul shares lead us, leads mankind to a needed reaction. And here's the response that I suggest this morning that we consider. I suggest that the, the proper response to the power found in the name of Jesus is a response of confession. A response of, of repentance. A response of transformation. A response of baptism. Death, burial, resurrection. A response of worship. And a response of servanthood. Here's the truth. Paul shares that power of Jesus name will be known by every living soul, both weak and strong. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 14. Romans 14, starting. In verse nine. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself. 
this truth is not just for the faithfully strong. We, we talked in Bible class this morning. You know, one of the truths we have to live by faithfully is that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And that there'll be a judgment. I'd like you to watch this video and give you an illustration of where I believe the power can be found. You'll have to click the slide and then hit it one more time. Please. I don't know where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. of a woman praying. But what if? What if that were the prayer for our homes on a regular basis? And for some of us, I realize it is. If it's you, I'm not dogging you. You don't have to email me this week. I'm talking to everybody else. What if that was real to us? What if that's the way we faithfully chased after Satan? And that when we said and we proclaimed something for Jesus, in faith we truly believed it, and in faith we truly pursued that relationship, how would our families be different? How would our homes be different? How would our church be different? Because I think it will make a difference, church. The point of this sermon this morning is that as Christians... Power, our power through the Holy Spirit is found in the name of Jesus. Our relationship with God is established through Jesus. And so, church, when in the year to come, the hundreds of times in this auditorium, the hundreds of times around your table with your families, the hundreds of times in your own little war rooms, in your homes, at the edge of your bed, on your knees, when you proclaim in Jesus' name, 
I pray that you'll think about this sermon and the power that you just tapped into. Because it's mighty. It's mighty. It's the, it's, it's the, the, the strongest power that we can possibly have access to as Christians. Don't treat that lightly. Don't ask for it lightly. You might be surprised what you get. There's power here this morning. Because in Jesus' name, every week, we preach a sermon, we offer an invitation. Here's my question. Why would you settle for anything less than the power of God in your life? Why would you sit through this moment and not give answer to God? He's offering it to you. It's all over the place, man. Don't waste another minute. Or you know what? If you're swimming in a sea that has taken you away from God, why, why keep just helplessly flinging your arms? Don't do it anymore. Come back. Here's the life preserver. We're throwing it out. In Jesus' name, you can be saved this morning. Please come while we stand and sing.